0: Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Clint Callahan. Clint is a seasoned social worker and therapist who has been serving in the field since 2000. During their over 23 year career, they have effectively aided thousands of professionals in enhancing their lives and relationships. They have observed the profound positive changes in their own personal life and the lives of their clients. By utilizing the small changes, big impact, 1% per day transformational system. It's about giving people practical psychological tools to improve their lives in just 15 minutes a day. In the episode, Clint discusses why small changes have the biggest impact, how to break out of old thought patterns, why the quality of your stories determines the quality of your life, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode! I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress you're in the right place each week i interview experts and share no nonsense research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good eat healthy long term have the high energy you crave and feel like a million bucks i'm so happy you're here with me today don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode Hi Clint, thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You, like everyone else, has a nicer background than I do, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll forgive you. I, I'm in my closet. If people you don't see me on video ever, but you have a very beautiful, relaxing, inviting space behind you.
1: Well, it is my therapy space, so without my wife actually putting it together it probably wouldn't be as relaxing and it probably wouldn't be as inviting. So so props to her. Not to me. I already feel better <laughs> just
0: looking at that space. I mean it's good. it's lovely. So
1: uh,
0: <laughs> I guess good thing I don't do therapy in a closet. I don't feel like this is as inviting of a space in here. <laughs>
1: yeah. As long as you it never works for you, it's all good. <laughs>
0: for sure can you tell us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a therapist
1: sure I'm more than happy to so my story begins way back when I was born because I weighed one pound 15 ounces at birth I got down to my lowest birth weight according to the journal I found that my mom kept like one pound eight ounces and this was 47 years ago so they didn't know that you could hold premature babies and do any of those different kind of things so my first bufft four months of my life was in an incubator being poked prodded surgery those kind of things and I found uh, the journal like I mentioned that my mom wrote where she said the hardest thing about watching him being the incubator is when I try to reach in and touch him he flinches away like I'm gonna hurt him Mm -hmm. so that was the beginning of my life and little did I know that that actually would have a huge impact on the rest of my life because I was a baby what did I know I didn't know anything I was just born and so they did a whole bunch of experimental stuff to try to keep me alive, but my body rejected it and other people, other kids, they died. And so my parents came in every day to the hospital or stayed at the hospital wondering every day if I was going to be dead. So that's how, we, that's how my life got started. So a little bit of stress there, just a little bit. And so from there, I got in. So then, you know, I went home. Home was fine. I grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota with my with my parents and with my sister. Home was great. And then I went to elementary school. And elementary school was rough because bullying began in elementary school. And it lasted all the way throughout elementary, middle, and high school up until about the last year of high school. Did I have friends? Yes, I had good friends. I had good people in my life too. But also, the hard thing was with some of with some of the my friend groups, it was the the thing where the individual friend was great in one-on-one but as part of the group it became the group think mentality where nobody wanted to step outside of line so you weren't the one being bullied and so me being a relatively overly sensitive kid and all these different things i tended to get bullied the most out of everybody in my friend group and that was really hard but that also really then also you know it gave me all the wonderful little superpowers now that i think of them even though they sucked at the time which is people pleasing and being a chameleon, being able to read people, anxiety, depression, all the fun stuff that happens after you get bullied. And so from that, that actually started my path down mental health because my parents saw all this stuff because I was getting, I had the physical symptoms of feeling sick all the time because I didn't want to go to school. And so They found out that that was not just me feeling sick all the time, but that it was that kind of stuff because I finally confided in them, I think when I was like eight or nine, because I was having a lot of anger issues and those kind of things because I didn't have any control in my life. So I started therapy the first time at 11 years old, and I did that for about a year or so. And it really started me to go, oh, wow, that's what these things are. That's what these feelings things mean. That's how the way friendship is supposed to be and all this kind of stuff. So that's what started me getting interested in mental health is that piece right there. All those things, the anxiety, the depression, the people pleasing, the, you know, all those things are things that I still fight with myself to this day because that created that story in my brain, that foundational story that I continually have to check and tell it that it's wrong because I still have that even after doing this for 23 years and being a therapist for 23 years and being a husband and a father and being good at my job, I still get that same feeling of why is anybody going to listen to me? What do I really have to offer? And it's those kind of things that create that continual feedback loop inside of our own brains. Mm.
0: I know you do have a lot to offer, especially in terms of the system you've come up with. And Mm -hmm. we love actionable tips here on the Health Investment Podcast. So can you tell us what is your small changes, big impact system and how did you come up with it?
1: Sure. So small changes, big impact came out of me. It came out of my pain, my stuff, trying to get my stuff together. Because so around two thousand three, my mom was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder and it basically started melting all of her joints. And so she was in a lot of chronic pain and I watched her go through that. And ultimately until it ended where she ended up committing suicide. So that was, and that sent me into a big grief spiral because I was with her two weeks before she did it. I was at a hospital with her where she told me she was going to do it. I told them they were going to do it and they basically told me, no, if she does the program, she'll be fine. And I said, no, I do this for a living. I was working in a locked psychiatric hospital at the time with people that were suicidal. So I knew that what she was saying was 100% what she was going to do. So going through that really sent me into a spiral because again, the imposter syndrome and all those things, if I can't help my mom, then how can I help other people? How can I be a good therapist, a good you know, a good social worker, if that is what just happened in my own family, I couldn't prevent it, which I now know, of course, is complete and utter stupidity because she made the choice. I didn't make the choice. She did. It took me a long time to f- figure that out. But that was the beginning of me figuring out this process because I stopped doing therapy for several years. I opened a business where I was helping for-profit companies create nonprofits to do good work and do that. And I was doing real estate. And then 2008 happened and the market collapsed. And then I had to go live with my in-laws and my newborn son in California. And so from all that, I had to figure out how to change my life because I didn't like the way it was going. I didn't like how I was thinking. I was feeling disconnected from everybody. I was going back to those old patterns that I tried so hard to break out of. And so I had to find a way to be better. So I Went back into, because I studied Buddhism a lot when I was in college, so I started meditating again. I really practiced, I learned about box breathing, and so I really practiced box breathing. And I just started taking five, three, five five-minute chunks, which I still do to this day. I do five minutes in the morning where I meditate for three minutes, and meditation is not, for me, oh, you have to do it the Buddhist way. No, it's just sitting somewhere quiet and being still and breathing, and letting your brain figure out what is going on up there. And because we have so much stuff and so much interaction in our lives right now that want our attention, that we don't have time for stillness. But yet in that stillness, you'll fi- often find the answer that eludes you. And so I do, that's what I do every day is I take three minutes to meditate in the morning and then I journal for two minutes about what do I want my day to look like? And then at lunchtime, I go back and I meditate again. And I look at that journal and I say, okay, am I meeting those, those things? I usually only do about two or three different things that I want to get from the day because most people just try to get through it. And that was a big change for me is I had to get from the day. I can't just get through the day because getting through the day is being disconnected. Getting from the day is being fully connected and present with your life. And then that's what I do at night is that I go back and I look at what did I do today? Did I meet at least those three goals and did I figure out how to get through? And that's where I began this process of figuring out that it really only takes 15 minutes a day to change your mindset, change your perspective and change your life. And so once I figured that out, I began to just implement other small changes and basically it came out to being like, I did a, a quick thing on my, on the, what my what this life coaching program is. And it teaches people 30 different psychological tools over the course of about 14 weeks to help you be more present and to basically weather any storm, any emotional issue, any problem, because really it comes down to the story in your head that you tell yourself creates reality. So if you can figure out what that story is, but also control your body, because 80% of everything that we experience in life is body first. And that's what most people don't think your body informs your brain and your brain just analyzes the data and tells you what's going on. And I'll, I can talk more about that later.
0: Mm-hmm. When you were talking about your meditation throughout the day and your mm-hmm. morning one, even it's funny, you said five minutes in the morning. I mm-hmm. don't currently meditate in five minutes, even felt like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. And then you said, oh, Mm -hmm. but I just do it for three minutes, just even smaller than that. And I've never heard anybody say they meditate for three minutes because I feel like in society Mm -hmm. five is the bare minimum or you're really supposed to do 15 or 20 and it feels daunting to make changes. What would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about the power of small Daily habit changes.
1: That if they don't, it's basically go big or go home, right? Right. That's the saying that you hear. And it's like, no, it's not. Because I've been to the big events. I've done the Tony Robbins stuff where you walk across colds. I've gone to the Jim Rohn three day seminars and all these things where you come out and you're just on fire for life and all these things. But then you get back into your everyday life. And everything around you, nothing's changed, you may feel like you've changed. But then inexorably, the pull of the everyday life of commuting to work of dealing with your boss of dealing with kids of dealing with family of, of having to wait in line for 20 minutes to get a coffee and all these things pull you back into that dissatisfaction with life. And so the small changes model is really about, and when I say small changes, I literally mean if all you can meditate for is one minute. Great. Just do that four times a day. You've now meditated for four minutes. Wow. You were at least, we're now present or at least attempting to be more present for four or five minutes a day. That's it. You don't need more than that because, and then when you do that, you build in failure. That's the thing that most people don't wanna talk about when it comes to goal setting. If you don't build in failure, you will fail at most goals because the way we've structured and built goals in our society is here's the mountaintop. That's what we're going for. This is what we do to get to the mountaintop. But once I'm there, then I'll know who I wanna be. But that's wrong. First, you need to figure out who you wanna be. Then you need to do the steps to be that person which then will lead you to the having of the life that you want. Because if you look at some of the most famous and successful people that are out there, they did all the stuff they were supposed to do. They got the having of everything, but yet all their relationships, their all their life, all of the stuff that is really has any value crumbles and falls apart. But wow, they've got all the money and they've got the fame and they've got all these other things, but yet the rest of their life is in shambles. Which one do you want? A life of peace and comfort where you have the love of family and friends and people around you or always worrying that the next person that you talk to just wants something from you? Because if you know who you are when you're at the top of the mountain, you already have an idea of where you're going to go next. But if you don't build the goal the right way, you get screwed up and and you have that problem at the end.
0: I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Hmm. How should we approach failure then? You said build it in. So expect to fail at certain points?
1: So the way I build in failure is I basically think of it like, like, so with, with diets and stuff, like, so diets are the easiest thing because it's very understandable. So with a diet, it's like, okay, everybody like, so you go and do a workout routine, you're on a strict diet, but you get like a cheat day, like once a week. Right. So for most people before that cheat day would have been failure, right? You're failing because you're, you're, you broke your diet for that day. So now you're failing because you're not doing your diet 365, 24, seven. And I look at that as the same day as the same way. The way I look at it is in my life, I give myself three cheat days a month where if I don't feel like meditating, I don't. And I don't feel bad about it because it's part of the goal. Hmm. Yeah. I, I make sure that, okay, I'm not always going to say the right thing. I'm not always going to do the right thing. I'm not always going to feel like wanting to be this best version of myself. So I give myself a pass to just basically, some days I can just have a bad day and that's okay. But just because I have a bad day doesn't mean the people around me get to have a bad day because of me. That's the difference. So it's building in those failure points for yourself, but not taking it out on other people. And that's what I mean by build in failure. Because when you know that you have the ability to fail and that it's not gonna destroy everything you've worked for, Then more often than not, you don't take the opportunity when you feel like I don't want to do it because then you decide, you know, I actually can do it because, you know, maybe I don't want to burn all three of my failure days, the first three days of the month, because that makes the rest of the month really hard, right? So it allows you and it gives you the space to have that conversation with yourself instead of feeling like if I'm not perfect, I'm horrible. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that's the hardest thing, because in our society, it's all about achieve, 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 consume, consume, consume. No, that's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. I also, I've worked hospice as part of my career doing, being a social worker. And the last thing that people ever talk about before they're getting ready to die is ever, boy, I sure wish I would have bought that thing. Instead, it's, I wish I would have taken that trip with my family. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have done these things and created deeper, more meaningful connections with the people in my life because that's all that really matters. And, you know, that's one of the things that I really try to take that to heart because I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago and one of the statistics just, it made me shake in my boots being a parent because it's, 93% 93% of our time with our kids is spent in the first 18 years of their life. Mm. 93%. That means for the rest of our lives, for the rest of my life, after my kid turns 18, I get 7% of my time with them for the rest of my life. And I was like, "There's that math has got to be wrong. <laughs> there is no way it's 93%. So I went back in my own brain and said, okay, let's see. I was with my parents pretty much every day up until I was 18, then I went away to college. Oh, then I was with them maybe every other, every couple of weeks for the first three months. Oh, then I was with them about every six months. Oh, then I moved to Washington State and got my master's and I saw them one time. Oh, then I moved to California and I saw them every two years maybe. Oh, then and then and then, and it's like, oh wow, the math is right. I don't like that math. So, mm-hmm. what did I do? I started to change what I did with my kids. I basically now, when they ask me, Hey, dad, can you play this video game with me? I'm like, Sure, I have a half hour. Let's play that video game. Instead, I would have said, No, I'm too tired. I, I really don't feel like doing that. I don't, I don't want to. But instead, it's like, No, yes, I will do that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will take the time to be with you and to do this thing that you love, even though for me, I don't really like the game they're playing but I still do it and humor them and they think it's the best thing ever because dad is now playing this game that they love and they get to basically hunt me and shoot me in the game. And I think it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. So, I was gonna say, Dad's probably losing at the game right there. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, I've been playing video games since I, since I was seven. So I'm pretty good at it.
0: Oh, nice. But,
1: but they, but, but they don't know that. So sometimes I let them win, but sometimes I just mess with them just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> like
0: I've got years and years on you. That's right. You don't, you don't know
1: how many years I've got. Yeah. When you can master the first Mario jump, then you can come talk to me about playing video games (laughs) when you can beat pitfall. Then you can come talk to me about playing video games.
0: (laughs) I like what you were saying about building in this idea of failure and kind of how you approach failure is going to determine essentially how successful you are. It sounds like at meeting any goal, Mm -hmm. this conversation came up the other day with clients in my group program. I work with clients on nutrition and weight loss coaching And somebody asked, what do you do when you don't feel like it, but you know, you should do it Mm -hmm. and you know, you're not completely exhausted or sick or something. So let's use a walk as an example, Mm -hmm. but you just get home, you're exhausted. You've had a long day, you know, you should go on the walk, but you don't feel Mm -hmm. like going, but it's not like anything's really keeping you from doing it. And if they feel that more than three days a month, let's say, what are some Mm -hmm. mental tricks to kind of make yourself do something, even though you don't feel like doing it?
1: Sure. I I use these all the time. So what I do, one of the main things that I do is I use my smartphone for good instead of evil. So I basically set a timer. I set a timer and I say, okay, here's what's going to happen. You don't want to do this. And I get, now this is what I'm saying to myself. You don't want to do this. I understand you don't want to do this. So you're going to, I'm going to give you, you're going to, I'm going to give myself 15 to 30 minutes of sitting here, not doing it. And I'm just going to see how that makes me feel. Because what happens in er, in, inevitably for me is I start to feel guilty that I'm not doing the thing that I know I should do Mm. because I like to, I like to make sure that I do the thing that I say I'm going to do. Because if you don't do that, then you're lying to yourself, right? And so you do those things where you set up these things where you're like, okay, you don't want to do that. Fine. You get 15 minutes of not doing it. Then you're going to go do it. Because if you do that, you will talk yourself into it. If you know that there's this deadline that you need to go do this thing, but you can have 15 minutes where you can do whatever you want. You can take a nap. You can just, well, you can just hang out in the house. You can go play a quick video game. You can do whatever you want for that 15 to 30 minutes. But when that timer goes off, go do it. Hmm. Because if you don't hold yourself accountable, who will? Accountability is an internal process. As much as we'd love to believe that accountability is because other people want us to do something, yes, that does help. It adds to the stakes. It ups the stakes a bit. But having yourself go, okay, I know that I'm doing this. and I'm doing this for me because I want to be X. I want to lose weight. I want to gain more muscle. I want to be healthier. I don't want to become diabetic. I don't want to, whatever it is that you're going through. It's always recognizing that everything is a choice. You are the person who makes the decision. And if you choose to not do it, then there's nobody else to blame but yourself. You can't blame your coach. You can't blame your your accountability buddy. You can't blame anybody else because you decided in that moment, This old pattern that I'm stuck in is worth more than this new pattern that I'm trying to create because everything we do is a choice. And anybody that tells you any different hasn't been paying attention to being alive (laughs) because (laughs) if there's one thing I've learned in my life is there's three main things that I live my life by. And the first is we're all making it up as we go along. From the moment we open our eyes to the moment we close our eyes at night, we're making it up. Some people are better at making it up than others, but we are all making it up. Everything that you and I have just discussed, I've made it all up. (laughs) People are like, what do you mean? Well, I have 23 years of experience and 47 years of being alive. This is all part of my experience, but I'm making it all up as I go along right now Mm -hmm. because my synapses are firing and they're doing all this stuff and I'm making it up as I go. The second thing is if someone tells you they have the answer, the answer, capital T-H-E answer, run the other way. Because hmm. I never say that I have the answer. I have answers because of all the time that I've spent learning all this stuff, but I don't have the answer. There is no such thing as the answer. you know. And that's what it comes down to. And the third thing is making small changes is hard, but it's super easy once you get in the groove because it's not about deciding that I have to reach this mountaintop right now. Instead, it's, I just have to follow the footsteps of the people that have gone before me. Because all the things that I say about mental health, life coaching, and all these things I've learned in my life, I didn't come up with them. I learned it through reading, through talking to people, through doing different things. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all somebody else's idea in some fashion but you adopting it and using it for yourself to move that needle for yourself, even just 15 minutes a day, just a slightly bit more towards healthy and healthier. When you do that in a hundred days, you will see changes in your life that you can't believe happened just because you took a moment to stop and go, what do I really want out of this thing called life? Because as far as I know, this is all we got. I spent the first 38 years of my life being miserable. People pleasing, being anxious, being depressed, always worrying what other people were thinking, always having all of those issues coming at me all the time. And it was really hard to live like that. After I began to make these changes and start to be more mindful, I was now able to stop and shut the voice up in my head that kept telling me all the things I did not want to hear. Because I had, but I had to make the choice because the only person that can stop the voice inside of your head is you. Because mm. guess whose voice it is? It's yours. It may sound like mom, dad, grandpa, best friend, worst enemy. You know, it may sound like somebody else, but it's still you.
0: Right. You, t- you mentioned old patterns And I think that's another thing that comes up a lot with clients. They'll say, you know, I've been dieting for 10 years and then I take the same approach you're talking about. So we're making small Mm -hmm. changes Mm -hmm. gradually over time and they come up against resistance of these old patterns just being the loudest Mm -hmm. in their minds. How do you stick with small change when the old patterns are so loud and dominant and Mm -hmm. just what you've done? for so long
1: yeah this is so this is a cognitive behavioral therapy trick you tell them to basically brain dump onto a page literally write it out onto a page because the way the brain works is in general terms this part is emotions this half of your brain is emotions and i'm pointing to the right part of my head and the left part of my of my brain is where is where logic lives and so when you are so when you're trying to break through a pattern, the first thing you have to break through is the emotional talk that you're, the negative self-talk that you're talking to yourself. And so by writing it out, you're pulling the negative story from the right part of your brain. It crosses the little tendrils in between the right and left hemisphere, and it goes into the, re- the left side of your brain so you can make sense of it and put it on a page. But when you read it back, it goes through the left part back into the right part. So what it does is it changes how you view the story you're telling yourself. Because when you write down, I work, I work with a lot of, of uh, military veterans. And so there's one, this one veteran that I've now been working for for two years. He resisted journaling for seven months. It was. I literally asked him every single week when I saw him, did you even try and journal once today? Just a little, one sentence, anything? No, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Finally, he got to the point where he was so fed up with the way his life was that he wrote down the journal. He redid his thing. He wrote it down, came back the next next time and said, "Okay, I did the journaling thing. I'm like, "Okay, what did you find out? You did that to make me feel stupid, didn't you? And I'm like, no, I just did it because I wanted you to see what was going on inside of your own head. He's like, well, it made me feel stupid because I can't believe that this is the story that I was acting on and acting out every time I'd get into that situation. I'm like, okay, so what did you do? He's like, well, I went and I journaled some more, which I didn't think I was going to do. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, and I did the box breathing thing that you told me to do. And I'm like, okay. And, and then I didn't do the thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. And what happened after that? Well, I haven't done it now for four days. I'm like, okay. And what does that mean? Well, my i I didn't snap at my wife i didn't have an i didn't get mad at my kid i didn't do these things i'm more connected now because i now know that when that story comes up i know what it is that's how you break the pattern the only way to break the pattern is you have to have awareness of it and the only way to get awareness of it you have to get it out of your brain because when it's in the emotional side of your brain it's like liquid mercury It can break apart into 900 million little balls and go hide somewhere else in your brain and then all come back together and and have that story be prevalent again. But by pulling it out and putting it on the page, the only way to change what you wrote is you have to either rip it up, you have to burn it, you have to erase it, you have to do that. But when you see it, your brain now sees it differently because it's not this story in your head. It's now... Oh, it's on the page. It's physical. It's real. And that's the thing that people get most frightened about. Hmm. Because if I pull the story out of my head and I see it and I recognize what the story is, then I now have to do something about it because I can't let that continue to be the story I follow. And that's why people get stuck in patterns because you have to then own it. Because once you own it, you can fix it. If you don't own it, if you keep saying it's somebody else's problem, You can't fix it. That's like saying, hey, I own, you know, you loan me your car and I don't give it back to you. Do I own it? No, (laughs) I can't do anything. I can't sell it. I can't do anything with it. If anything, I'm now a thief. So until you own it, you can't do anything with it. That's the thing is once you own your stuff, once you own the story, once you recognize the story, you can then break the story apart and you can get rid of it and you can decide I'm not going to follow that anymore because I know where that story leads. That story always leads to the highway with the bridge out where I go off the cliff and I'm really tired of going off the cliff and splatting like Wiley e. Coyote.
0: Hmm. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. I'd love to hear more about what you mentioned, the body-brain connection and how we feel mm-hmm. things in the body first. Can you sure. describe that a bit more? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so basically, the way the, the way it works anthropologi- anthropologically speaking is, so about one hundred eighty-five thousand years ago, they, according to the fossil record and anthropologists, there was a massive change in the way human beings were able to begin processing things because of possibly interbreeding between Neanderthals and all the kind of stuff. But what it did is, then you have one hundred eighty thousand years of survival. So, in our body, genetically speaking. In our brain and in our body, genetically and memory-wise, there is always fear. Biological fear. Biological fear is different than psychological fear. Psychological fear is the story of the thing. Biological fear is the fight-or-flight response. And the problem with biological fear is that we are currently, and everybody on the planet, is always at about a one or a two from the day we're born because it's the survival instinct. But then you throw in all the stuff that happens in life, abuse, neglect, um, bullying, uh, whatever it is, whatever your trauma is, you can't get out of life without having some trauma in it. That's just life. That's how it is. But every time you do that, it now adds to the trauma load. So you go from a one or a two to now a two or a three, and then you go to a three or a four, and then you go to a four or a five, and then you go to a five or a six. And so then the time it takes you to go from calm and at rest to panic or to anxiety or to fight or flight is now cut down, cut down, cut down, cut down. And so that's why knowing what's going on in your body, knowing what your symptoms are, because I know exactly what my symptoms are when I'm anxious. My gut starts to get really tight and roll. And, you know, my breath starts to get really, really shallow. My heart starts to beat really fast. My face becomes really red and hot. And I know that I'm now starting to become really anxious. So I, when I when I recognize the first kind of gut twinge stuff, you know, as long as I haven't eaten any bad food, you know, I've got to watch out for that. But you, uh, so you do that. And then I basically start box breathing. And what box breathing does is it calms the parasympathetic nervous system down so that you're no longer, because your brain, because the way your body works when it comes to fight or flight response is it goes like this. My boss yelled at me. That means I'm going to lose my job. That means my, my spouse, husband, wife, girlfriend, whatever is going to leave me, which means I'm, I'm not going ha- to be able to find a job again. I'm going to end up dead under a bridge. And it's like, wait a minute, that, that escalated really fast from my boss just yelled at me to now I'm dead under a bridge somewhere. You missed like 90,000 steps in between, but that's the survival mechanism in our bodies. It goes that fast from I'm in trouble to I'm now going to die. Because that's its only mission is to keep you alive. So, any threat, no matter how, no matter if it's internal or external, our body reacts the same way. It runs the fear protocol, it dumps adrenaline, cortisol, neuroepinephrine, all those chemicals to get you ready to fight or run to save your own life. So, by recognizing what your pre body feelings are, before it gets to your brain, it allows you to shut down that process. So what I usually teach people, one of the first things I teach people in my life coaching and my therapy practice is what I call my emotional management plan, where the first thing you do is you journal the story in your head. You put it on the page. The second thing you do is you then box breathe, which box breathing is is basically You breathe in for four seconds and then you hold your breath for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds and you hold your breath empty for four seconds and you do it four times. Because if you think about it, our fight or flight response is designed for, are you being chased by a bear? No, I'm not being chased by a bear. Well, then why is your body reacting like you're being chased by a bear? Because your brain is telling you and your body is telling you, my life is in danger. So I have to be ready to do that stuff. So the first, so that's the first thing you do is you get control of your body by doing box breathing, by doing meditation. You then go do a little bit of light exercise, power walking, quick bit of push ups, sit-ups, whatever you can do. You do those things because what it does is that then lets the adrenaline go to other parts of your body. Because when you're just sitting still and you're in paralysis or in fight or flight mode, adrenaline only has about four places it can go. It goes Mm -hmm. to your guts. It goes to your lungs. It goes to your heart and it goes to your brain. And when it goes to your brain, that's why when we are panicky or or anxious, it makes everything slow down. You get this time dilation effect, like, and your brain starts to go, this is now how I'm going to feel forever, which, and then I, to that, I usually say, well, wait five minutes forever will be over. Don't worry. And then you go back and you read the stuff that you wrote by doing those things. You now see Because now you're hitting this from all four, all three angles. You're looking at it from a psychological angle because you're recognizing what you wrote and that the story you're telling yourself is wrong. You're looking at, you're getting it from a physiological angle because you're calming down your nervous system, and you're getting it from a physical angle because you're burning off all the excess chemicals that are in your body. And by doing that, it allows you get to get back to that state of rest. Otherwise it just stays in that cycle where it loops between your heart lungs and your brain. And you end up feeling like you're going to have a heart attack or a panic attack. Or like for some people, they even get stroke like symptoms where their eyes start to cross and they get blurry vision and all these things. And it's all those kind of things. And that's why doing those things is so important because, and really the thing is doing that plan takes about five minutes. It takes longer for me to explain it than for you to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Right. And so it's get it out on paper, box yep. breathe, yep. do like 10 push push-ups or something.
1: Yeah. Do 10 push push-ups and then read what you wrote so you can see that it's foolish. Because yeah. when you see that it's foolish, that's the part that really lets you go. Oh, okay. I recognize this story. I've looked at this story before. I know that this story is false because how many times have I written this story down now? 10 times, 15 times, a hundred times because that's the thing. I mean, if you were to look at my journals, most of my journals are the same story, the same story, the same story, the same story, slightly different story, but it ends up the same way. (laughs) It's it's the same story over and over again, because that's the pattern we get stuck in is those things. Because when it comes to human beings, that's what we do. We're pattern recognition machines.
0: What about when it's just your first few times writing the story? Because then mm-hmm. you don't have the hundred times that you know it's not true. Mm-hmm. So even if it's your mm-hmm. first time, yeah, is that a lot harder because you your... still believe it?
1: Well, but even if it's your first time, that's why if you can be as honest with yourself as possible when you put it on the page, like all the stuff all the bad words all the things that all the things that it's going to happen how it eventually is going to lead to you being xyz dead in a ditch somewhere whatever it is it's putting it down as honestly as you can so you can really get a window into what are you actually telling yourself and this does take practice this isn't something that you can do one and done and i've got it figured out i mean mm-hmm. for the guy that i mentioned before it took him about What do you say? It took him about a month and a half of doing this consistently every day to really begin to see the pattern and see the through line that he was going and what he was going through. But every time he did it, it made him more aware of the story because that's really all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you to put a spotlight on the story you always tell yourself so it has no shadows to hide in Mm because that's where the stories live and thrive is in those shadow parts of our brain is that so if you can get a spotlight on that just by writing it out and giving yourself time to look at it and go well do I believe this maybe I believe it I'm not quite sure and that's what I usually tell people when you do the emotional management plan if the first time when you read it after you after you do all the stuff and you still believe it at least 50%, do it again. Write some more. Breathe some more. Go do a little more exercise. Come back and read it again and see. Because it's that's how you will finally see that this doesn't make any sense. Because the stories we tell ourselves, if anybody heard what was going on inside of our heads most of the time with the way that we talk to ourselves... They would be so sad for us because the things we say to ourselves, we would never, ever, ever in a million years say to another human being in front of us. Mm. You would never say it to somebody else. And that's how you know it's false. If you can ask yourself that question, would I say this to my best friend? Would I say this to my mother? Would I say this to my son? Would I say this to my daughter? Would I say this to these other people? Because if you wouldn't, then why are you saying it to yourself?
0: I know you said you don't have the answer, you have answers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you help people make small changes. You've mentioned multiple times small changes like journaling, box mm-hmm. breathing, meditation. So, even though you don't have the answer for a person, are mm-hmm. these very powerful answers for most people? Like, do most people benefit from the things you're talking about in different variations?
1: really it comes down to all i'm trying to do is help you construct the answer for yourself yeah so for some people writing is a chore it's really hard for them they don't feel like they have the words they get really down on themselves so they can't do it so then i say okay if you can't write it talk to yourself video yourself talking about it like you would talk like you're just dumping it that way but that's the thing is it's we're trying to figure out what works for you to help you become aware of what is going on inside of yourself, inside of your story, inside of your mind, inside of your feelings. That's really what we're trying to do. But the only way to do that is you have to become aware of it. And the only way that I know of to become aware of it is you either you have to meditate so you can hear the voice inside of your head, whether you like it or not. You have to get it out of you somehow by putting it on paper, putting it in a computer, putting it on a video so that you can see it through your eyes, because when things come in through your eyes or through your ears, it goes into your brain differently than the feelings that are living in your brain. Because when the story's trapped inside of your head, there's no daylight in there. There's no way you can have illumination because it's trapped, it's stuck. So until you get it out, you can't see it. And then from there, knowing what's going on with your body helps you then to manage the hormonal piece of it. Because the biological part of fear and the psychological part of fear, when they join up, that creates panic attacks. Mm. And that's why these things are so important to do. Because the more that you understand how your body's feeling, and you're like, oh wait, okay, I'm start oh oh, yeah, I'm starting to breathe that way. I'm starting I recognize that. Okay, I need to I need to go do the box breathing thing, or I need to at least, even if you just take a couple of deep breaths, whatever it is to slow down. This process because your brain is your best ally and your worst enemy simultaneously. And really, it's just about understanding how it all works together. I'd love to tell you that human beings are rational creatures that are occasionally (laughs) emotional, but we're not. We are 99.9% emotional with occasional rationality. And that's the thing. I'm just trying to get you to access the rational piece of you that goes what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. One of my favorite illustrations that I ever saw about, about the brain is when your brain is dreaming, it's like the logical part of your brain is the audience. And the emotional part of your brain is on on the stage, but they've never had, they've never done any acting. They've never done any kind of thing. It's just, there's no plot to it. It's just craziness up there. So the logical part of your brain is looking at that going, what in the holy? What is this thing? This makes no sense whatsoever. And that's what I'm trying to get you to pull out of your head. Because most of the stories we tell ourselves are just that. They're stories. Yeah. They're stories. That's all they are.
0: Really fascinating. Uh, This has been illuminating to use your word in so many different ways. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment?
1: In my opinion, what it means to make the health investment is for you to be aware of what's going on with you in all the areas of your life in being mentally healthy, being physically healthy, being spiritually healthy, being knowledgeable, all the different ways Because if you don't have all the different aspects of it, then you're missing part of the story. So you need to try to get as much of the story as you can so that you can make it work for you instead of you always feeling stuck.
0: Hmm. Where can listeners follow and find you?
1: Sure. Uh, So everybody, you can follow and find me at smallchangesbigimpact.net backslash info. And on that website, there's more information. There's a link to a 20-minute training on burnout. Or you can just set up a phone call and you can just talk to me directly. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Small Changes Big Impact, the number four, and the letter U.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Well, I will put links to those three places in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much, again, Clint, for being here. I honestly learned a ton. This went in directions I didn't even expect, but I am coming away with so much myself and I know listeners probably are as well. So thank you for being here.
1: I'm very happy to do that. Like I said, I've got lots of stuff in my head. I'm more than happy to come back and keep talking.
0: Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition, and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.